Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Sumrall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and we are very anxiously looking forward to starting back up services this weekend. But this journey is far from over, brothers and sisters. This, this is not going to be done tomorrow. This is not going to be done by the end of the month. This is going to take a while, and the economic consequences are going to take a while. So I, I really want you to, as a family, sit down and begin to talk about how do we settle in and make this thing work? What are the plans that God will give to us as a family? That this thing is going to take a while to work itself out. So how do we organize ourselves as a family? What are our priorities? Now, I wouldn't go spend a lot of money right away. Uh, you know, somebody was offering me a car the other day, and I said, you know what? These prices are going to come down really, really fast in the next three to six months. There's going to be a lot of secondhand cars for sale. There's going to be a lot of homes for sale. There's going to be a lot of things going on. We've been through this before. We understand these times. But you need to sit down as a family and say, what is it that we need to live in this period? And then begin to pray for God to provide that. Your sources of income. Do you need transportation to get around? You, you need to settle in because this, this is going to be a while, okay? I mean, if anybody thinks this is going to be over by the end of the month, you're wrong. So let's just settle in, prepare our families, it will be well with us. This will pass, and it will be well with us. And when we get to the end of it, our families and our finances will be stronger. But we have to plan. Father, I lift to you your sons and daughters today. We're moving into a new stage of this, but Lord, we recognize that this thing is far from over across this world. There's a lot of things still going on with the virus. There's a lot of things talked about second waves. There's economic consequences that we've not even yet begun to see. Father, I pray for every family. I pray that you give every family wisdom, wisdom in how to make decisions for their families to prosper through these things. Lord, you walk with us, your word says, through the fire and through the flood and bring us into a wealthy place. Father, in the name of Jesus, walk with your people and guide them. Let the steps of a righteous man be ordered of the Lord. Show our businessmen a plan, a plan, Lord, that will not be affected a plan that is COVID-19 proof. So every family, a plan for their finances that is COVID and economic crisis proof. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, well, Pastor, you sound depressed today. I am far from depressed. I just realized we have to understand our times. We've got some decisions to make. God is with you. All right, let's have our Psalms 91 recitation. Psalm 91, King James Version. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. May God in Him may I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of powder and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shall thou trust. He too shall be dashed and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid at all by night, nor for the arrow that flight by day, nor for the pestilence that walk in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasted at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the work of the wicked. 
Because as with the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angel charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt, thou shalt tread upon the lion and other, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him, and show him my salvation. Well, we're looking forward to starting up services this weekend. By tonight, we hope to have announcements for you on what our service schedules will be, and we've been getting all the information in from you. If you have not yet text us what service and how many of you are going to be coming to what service and what campus, please do that with your district pastor, with your campus pastor right away, because we're putting together the final plans. We'll be announcing them tonight in, in the online service, so we're looking forward to this together. I would also ask that you be patient with us as we move into the services this weekend. Now, it's, things are going to have to be different. There's going to be the foot baths that you walk through, the hand spraying of the alcohol, the temperature as you come in. You know, we're going to be really spaced out, 800 people in an 8,000-seat auditorium. <laughs> it's going to look interesting. But folks, we're making progress. We're getting back together. We're back in services together. So 140 in the services at South and at East and about 70 in the services out at North. But we're getting back together again. Again, we're going to have to ask that you wear masks. Again, we're going to have to ask that you follow the rules and do what the government asks us to do and, you know, social distancing and the CRs and all of those things. We've got lots of little signs on the floors. And, oh, my goodness, I've never seen so many signs on the floors in my whole life as we've been seeing these days. But let's follow the rules and let's be very patient. At least we're getting back together. Now, the services will be a little shorter, so I warn you in advance. We won't be able to sing as long because it's hard to sing with those masks and we have to wipe everything down in between services but we're making progress. I'm looking forward tonight. We'll begin to announce to you we're looking forward to the services this weekend. Let's get into praise and worship now.
Our text today is found in Acts chapter 21. Now remember with us, Paul has come back to Jerusalem. He's brought the beautiful gift to bring peace between the Jew and Gentile churches. Uh, He's been arrested in the temple courts. He's being taken back up the stairs now out of the temple courts into the, the garrison. And we pick up here in verse 37. Now as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, now notice, into the barracks. Remember, there's a set of stairs off to that one side that goes into Antonio's fortress. He's being brought up those stairs. He said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? So we know that Paul was at least bilingual, okay? He said, do you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? All right, so we, we have false assumptions here. This guy, this soldier, this military man, assumes that Paul is an Egyptian who has no right to be in the temple courts and assumes that this Egyptian is the guy who stirred up a revolt. So he's looking at Paul as if Paul's some kind of a bad guy. He really has no idea who Paul is. Now, I say this because many times as Christians, we we deal with people and they've got assumptions about us. They've got false assumptions of us. And sometimes we can just make a few statements and it clears up the false assumptions. Paul replied, I am a Jew. I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. Tarsus would be the city, Cilicia would be the province, a citizen of no obscure city. Now, now he's claiming Roman citizenship. Now, he has a whole different set of rights. Forgive me, in this soldier's mind, Paul now has more rights than all of those people who arrested him. All those people who were beating him, Paul has more rights than all of those people because now he is a Roman citizen. And under Roman law, he had rights that that soldier had to uphold. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Notice Paul's not brash or or mean. He said, I beg you. He's very soft. Permit me to speak to the people. And when he'd given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And there was a great hush. Now, again, it's very easy to understand. He's on a set of stairs, maybe halfway up. So he's probably 10, 12 feet above everybody, overlooking the the temple courts there, facing the temple on the right-hand side where Antonius' fortress was. He motions his hand, and everybody quietens down. And he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Now he's speaking a language the soldier does not understand, but the people do. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense I now make before you. Now listen, he, he... He makes his defense before the mob. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet because they realized, wait a minute, this guy's one of us. He said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. That would be like me saying, I was born in Rockford, Illinois. I was brought up until I, was four, or until I was three in New Orleans, until I was 14 in Flint, Michigan, and then finished my growing up in high school and college in Alabama. Okay, he's, he's giving us his history. But he said, I was brought up in this city. He said, you guys know me. I know this place. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, their greatest teacher, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Okay, he said, I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm one of the strict 
followers. Strict matter of the law of our fathers. Being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He said, now listen, man, I identify with you. I, I understand what's going on here. He said, I persecuted this way. Now, notice he uses the Jewish name of the church, the people of the way. He said, I per he didn't say, I persecuted Christians. He said, I persecuted this way, this access to the Father, to the death. Folks, Paul put people to death, and these people know it. So he stands up and says, wait a minute. I used to be part of what you're doing here. I used to put people to death for being a Christian, for following the way, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Paul said, I didn't just go after the men. I went after the women. As the high priest, wow, and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. He said, these guys all know me. He said, these big shots here in the temple, they all know me. From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed to Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He said, man, I used to work for these guys. I did their bidding. Now, all of a sudden, these people are listening with very different ears. And, and you just need to understand what Paul has done to this point is a masterful job of getting their attention. He uses language. He uses language. He uses identification. He identifies with. He uses understanding. Hey, I understand you. I used to persecute people to the death also. And he says, you know, <laughs> I was part of this leadership. He says, so dudes, I've got your attention now. Everything he has done to this point is a masterful job of getting people's attention. Now he tells the story. Now the story begins. He said, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven shone around me. He said, well, Pastor, why didn't he start with the story? Nobody's listening yet. He's got to get them to dial in. He's got to get their attention. Now he's done it. About noon, a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. So who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, I want you to ask yourself the question, how do you think Paul felt when he realized that this man who had stood before him, because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, I've taught you this in detail in the past, he stood there in the trial of Jesus. He saw the crucifixion of Jesus. He persecuted every Christian in the city, though they were called people of the way. And now all of a sudden he realizes this man really is the Son of God. Have you ever wondered how he felt when he heard that? That this was a vision that changed his life. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, 
Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. All that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. Now, many people believe this is a relative of the high priest. Many of the scholars I've read said this, this is one of the reasons Paul was so hated is because Ananias was a convert to the way, and it embarrassed the high priest. He came to me, standing by me, and said to me, Brother Saul, now, what a beautiful truth, Brother Saul, this man accepts his salvation. I like that. He accepted my salvation. Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. Now, it says at that very hour. This does not seem to be like, this is not uh, an instant miracle, but it is almost an instant miracle. It took place over a period of about an hour. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to, number one, know his will, to, number two, see the righteous one, number three, to, hear the voice from his mouth. So Paul was appointed for three things, to know God's will, to see Jesus, and to hear the voice from his mouth. Now, this see Jesus, this didn't happen on the road to Damascus. This would have happened later in Arabia for three years. For three years, Paul spent in the deserts of Arabia being taught the gospel by the direct revelation of Jesus. But that's, that's another study. Appointed to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. Four, there's a reason for this. This is the purpose of the appointment. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. I like that. Paul had to be water baptized, just like me and you. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, all right, so when Paul went back to Jerusalem, he went into the temple to pray. And in the temple courts, he fell into a trance. And I saw him, who, the righteous one, that he'd been appointed to see. I saw him say to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Again, he was the legal witness. And he said, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, the very next verse we're going to get into tomorrow says, at this point they stopped listening. And it's because of prejudice. There's something about prejudice that plugs the ears. Prejudice plugs the ears plugs the ears 
and stops the brain. At this point, they stopped listening to Paul. They would not listen to him anymore. They would not pay attention to him anymore. Very next verse. Just because he said, God sent me to the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world where prejudice is again plugging people's ears and stopping people's brains. It is not logical that the color of skin changes who a person is. It is not logical that the slant of the eye changes or the size of the nose changes who somebody is. The same blood of Jesus washes away all of our sins. In God's sight, we're all equal, and you need to get a hold of that. Never let prejudice stop your ears and stop your brain. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our Old Testament passage today finishes the book of First Chronicles. So let's pick up in chapter 28, verse 1. David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the division that served the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with all the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the seasoned warriors. Now, when you got something to say, there's a principle here. Say it to total leadership. Now, there's, there's a reason for this. You're going to see the end of this passage. They again made him king. But David is talking about the building of the temple. David's got some very important things to say. Now, if you start saying it to small groups of people, it is amazing how people, they hear it, but they hear it through their own understanding. I didn't say that they lie, but people hear everything through their own perceptions. And when they go out and repeat it, it's a little different. And then they go out and repeat it again, it's a little different. They go out and repeat it again, it's a little different. One of the great principles of leadership that you can ever learn from David here is that when you've got something to say, say it to everybody. So everybody hears the same thing at the same time. This is great for removing strife, okay? This is great for removing strife because it's amazing how people will distort things. Maybe not on purpose, but they do. Then the king rose to his feet and he said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for a footstool of our God, and I made preparations for the building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for or because you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure to make me king over all Israel. Now, you need to get a little truth in here. You know the position, the place that God has put you in in life, that company that he gave you, that promotion he gave you? Uh, he took pleasure to do that. It gave God pleasure to prosper you and bless you like that. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now, I want you to notice the word chosen, and I want you to note the word chose. So God chose David. God chose Solomon. After this, we never find another king that it says God chose. Hmm. He said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever, if he continues in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. So, all right, Solomon was living right. As he is today. Now, that's very important to get a hold of because later on you see that Solomon does not live right. As he is today. The other thing I want you to see is that promises have condition. 
promises have conditions. Have you ever told your child, bring home a great report card, nothing below a B, and I will take you out and buy you your favorite dinner. But they come home with one C. Mom, Dad, I only had one C. Is it good enough? No. Never move your conditions. Never move the goalpost. God has put goalposts. God has said, all right, this is the promise. These are the conditions. And those were conditions he placed on it. But to me, the most important part of that verse is as he is today. When God chose Solomon, Solomon was living right. So when God chose Solomon, Solomon was living right. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord our God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance to your children after you. All right. Now, again, there are more conditions. He said, seek out the commands of the Lord that you may possess and leave it as an inheritance. So there are conditions. There are beautiful businesses that God has given you to build. There are beautiful things that God has given you to do. Uh, but you, you, you didn't continue to live right. And, okay, you've possessed it for a season, but now you can't leave it for your children. And you can't leave it for your children as an inheritance because you changed how you live. See, a godly life is the greatest, the greatest gift that you can give to your children. I mean, I know that sounds like a weird statement, but the thing that builds an inheritance for your children is your godly life. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, I like that verse, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So notice, God says, hey, I search all hearts. God searches your heart this morning. God searches my heart. He understands every plan and every thought. You can't look at God and say, God, let me explain. <laughs> you don't need to explain anything to God. He knows every thought. He understands every thought and every plan. Before you ever think it or say it, he understands exactly what you mean. You know, sometimes with people, we say, no, 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 let me, un let me explain. With God, you don't explain. He knows the real thoughts of your heart. And the beautiful thing is, he still loves us. Be careful now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So he was not only chosen to be king, he was chosen to build God's house. There are people that God chooses to do this. Then David gave Solomon his son the plan. Wow. Of the vestibule of the temple, its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms, its entertainment, and of the room for the mercy seat. This would be the holy of holies. And the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord and the surrounding chambers, the treasuries, the treasuries for the dedicated gifts, for the divisions of the priests, the Levites, the work of the service, the vessels. This is a complete plan. This is structure 
and this is implementation, and this is manpower. Everything needed for the house of God. David had written it all down. You, you just wonder how many scrolls this took up. And David handed all of these plans to Solomon. Now he even had the weight laid out, how much everything should weigh. The weight for the gold for all the golden vessels for each service. The weight for the silver vessels for each service. The weight of the golden lampstands and their lamps. The weight of gold for each lampstand and its lamps. The weight of silver for a lampstand and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand and service. The weight of the gold for each table for the showbread. The silver for the silver tables. The pure gold for the forks, the basins, the cups for the golden bowls. The weight of each for silver bowls and the weight of each. For the altar of incense made of refined gold and its weight and also the plan for the golden chariot of the cherubim that spread their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work done according to the plan. Now, this is detail, okay? This is detail. Now, if you don't learn anything else from King David, he was a detailed planner. You talk about obsessive compulsive disorder, I don't call it a disorder. I would call it obsessive-compulsive blessed, okay? Obsessive-compulsive blessing. This was a detail. He had everything laid out, how much every instrument would weigh. Everything is laid out. And he said, all this was made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Now, what kind of an encounter was that? That's one of the big question marks. How did David, from the hand of the Lord, I mean, I, I know that Moses saw the finger of God on the tablets of stone, but what kind of an encounter did David have that all of this was written out in such detail for him? It's amazing. Then David said to his son Solomon, be strong and courageous and do it, okay? Now, this is how you get a job done. You got to be strong. Number one. Number two, you got to be courageous. And number three, you just got to do it. That's how to get a job done. Now, it took him decades to do it, but that's what it took. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of God is finished. Now, brothers and sisters, that is a promise of God. God's presence until done. <laughs> That's what I claim for COP. God, your hand will be with me until I finish building everything you want me to build for the house of God. We get the tower built, we get the parkings built, we get the auditorium renovated. Yeah, God's hand will be with us until everything, all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. That's my promise. That's what I claim in Jesus' name. And behold, all the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of the God. And with you in all the work will be every willing man, every willing man who has skilled. So like Sister Bev says, willed, and skilled. 
You know, there's a lot of people that are willing, but they have no skill. And there's a lot of people who have skill, but they aren't willing. With every willing man who has skill for any kind of service, and also the officers and the people will be wholly at your command. Then David, the king, said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen. Now, God doesn't have a backup plan. God has chosen my son Solomon. Is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So, I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I am able. Now, there's a beautiful truth about giving. So, as far as I'm able. All giving is based on our ability. The gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, atrimony, colored stones, and all sorts of precious stones and marble. Now, how did he know how much is needed? The need flowed from the detailed plan. He said, all right, we've put together a detailed plan and we know exactly how much gold is needed for every single piece. He said, I got all that together. Moreover, in addition to all I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. Because of my devotion to the house of the Lord my God, I now give it to the house of my God. I love that. Because of my devotion to the house of the Lord my God, I give it to the house of my God. Why did David give so generously? He said, my devotion to the house of my God. Now, brothers and sisters, why do we give so generously to build God's house? Our devotion for God's house. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen, gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. Who, then, will offer willingly, consecrate himself to the Lord today? Now, now he says, I gave, I challenge. He's got all of the great men of his generation standing there with him. The mighty men, the commanders, all of the great leaders of Israel are there. And he says, now, this is what I've done. We're gonna, Solomon's going to build God's house. He's young, he's inexperienced, okay? So what, what do we need to do? We need to put Together, the money. The hardest thing you'll ever do is put together the money. He, he can do the building. It'll take a couple of decades to do. But we're going to put together the money right now. We will not leave the new generation trying to put together the funds to finance our dream. Our dream is to build God's house. We'll put together all the money for it. Who then will offer willingly, consecrate himself today to the Lord. Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, and also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents of gold, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jael the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced. Now, they, they weren't upset that they'd given. They rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced. When you give willingly, it's a happy time. 
Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. So God is sovereign. And what comes from God? Riches, honor, come from God. And God is sovereign. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So God makes men great. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is your people that we should be able to offer thus willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. All things come from you. And God, basically he says, God, <laughs> you gave a seed to sow. That's what David is saying. He said, everything we gave, God, you first gave to us. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a revelation you have to get a hold of. When we, when we give something to the work of God, when we give to God, we're really not giving anything. We're just giving back to God what he first gave to us. You know, there are some Christians that get this idea that they've sacrificed, and yes, I understand sacrifice, but there are Christians that get this idea that somehow they, they're providing for God. No, everything we give to God. And David had the humility, the humility of stewardship, and, and, and that's a, a good truth that you need to get through this whole passage here. Let's call this whole passage the humility of stewardship. Because this was the, this whole passage is now about. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Now look at the humility of stewardship. God, we didn't give you anything that wasn't already yours. I know, my God, that you test the heart. God tests my heart. And have pleasure in uprightness. It pleases God when we live right. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offer freely and joyously. Now these are principles of giving. We offer freely and we offer joyously. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of our people and direct their hearts to you. Great prayer. Now, I could some of this stuff I had to be careful of because I could just start preaching. He says, Father, first of all, keep forever this desire to give freely and joyously, these hearts of stewardship in your people. And secondly, God, direct their hearts toward you. Now there's a pray, a prayer every parent can pray for their children and for the next generation and for their grandchildren. Direct their hearts toward you. I like that. 
Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace of for which I have made provision. Now, I don't know why we call it Solomon's temple. David paid for it. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, and 1,000 lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. And they made Solomon the son of David king a second time. Hey, we enjoyed making him king so much the first time. We'll make him a king a second time. But now notice the next phrase. And they anointed him as prince for the Lord. Now remember all that I keep teaching you. The people can call you king, but God calls you prince because God is king. So it doesn't matter what people call you. It matters how you see yourself, what your place is before God. Prince before the Lord. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. And he prospered and all Israel obeyed him. All the leaders and the mighty men and also all the sons of King David pledged all the sons, all his siblings, pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. And the Lord made Solomon very great in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty has not been on any king before him in Israel. Bestowed royal majesty even far greater than David. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon his son reigned in his place. Now the acts of David from first to last are written in the chronicles of Samuel the seer and the chronicles of Nathan the prophet and in the chronicles of Gad the seer with accounts of his rule and his might and of the circumstances that came upon him and upon Israel and upon all the kingdoms and all the countries. We've moved very quickly through a lot of scriptures here in this Old Testament section. Go back and spend some time with them. This, there's some of the most beautiful, beautiful truth about families, about family promises passing on, inheritances passing on. There's great truth here. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.